We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Mixtape. What we're doing is we're just going back and replaying some of our favorites around here. Some of these sermons that you guys have requested, some of the sermons that um, I have felt led to teach again, and I'm enjoying going back and reading some of my old notes, mixing things up, twisting them, tweaking them, um, applying new principles to them, and um, I'm excited about this message. It's one of the messages that I taught maybe right before we moved into this part of the building or right after we moved into this part of the building. If you go to the back of the building, you'll see a bunch of drawings, a bunch of circles all over the walls, and you'll see words in between them, and it was a result of this message. And um, I'm excited about the principle today. And before we get into the message, I want to tell you a little bit of story, if you will, that kind of sets up the principles found in this sermon. A little history lesson to you. It was about first century B.C., and a devastating drought had threatened to destroy, listen to me, to destroy an entire generation. It was the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had kind of died off about four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed almost to a lot of people like a false memory. It was a drought time for the people of Israel, not only in the fact that there was no physical rain, but there was no spiritual rain. There was a quietness, if you will, when it came to the movement of God. The crops were dying. The animals were dying. The humans were dying from lack of water. It was the most severe drought of its kind at this time. And the people of Israel felt like there was a God who had not been heard from. Historians, if you go back and read, you will see that it became a dark time for the Israelites. It it became a dark time for them as they began to feel that God had abandoned them. But there was one man. They say he was an eccentric, wise man, and he lived right outside the walls of Jerusalem. And this man was known for the power of his prayers. His name was Honey, and even the people, though they could no longer hear from God, this man believed God could still hear them. It's funny, you don't think a lot about rain. It's raining today. When rain is plentiful, it's almost an afterthought. But during a drought, rain becomes the only thought. We don't realize that how much that rain dictates our livelihood. Again, from the animals that we eat to the vegetables that we eat to to the water that we drink, it all comes from rain. And it's one of those things that we take for granted when it's happening and when it's not happening, panic begins to set in. And the people of Jerusalem knew there was only one man who was their hope, and it was Honey, because he was famous for one thing. And this is kind of a weird thing to be famous for, but he was famous for his ability to pray for rain. 
cities would bring him in, countries would bring him in, and he had this unique power, it seemed like, to connect with God and pray for rain. So it was on this day, the Honey, and if you go back and study out all the historians, he was known as Honey the Rainmaker, Honey the Circle Maker. And it was on this day that that name was applied to him. Honey walked in, they say, the historians, the books that you read, they say he walked into the city, he carried a six-foot staff with him everywhere he went, And they said he walked to the center of Jerusalem without saying a word. And he began to turn like a math compass. They said that his his movement was very methodical. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. Till in the sand, he had drawn this massive circle around him with him in the middle. As you read the people who witnessed this, they say he never looked up as he drew the circle. He never uttered a word as he drew the circle. And well, probably only took a few minutes, but it seemed like hours. Honey stood inside this circle he had drawn, and they say he dropped to his knees, he raised his hands to heaven. And with the authority of a prophet, they say Honey began to call down rain. He began to call out to God. And they said the first words out of his mouth was this, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. They said as these words echoed from his mouth, this quiet, eccentric man man who lived on the outskirts of town. They said as the words came out of his mouth with with such authority that there was a shudder that went down the spine of everyone within earshot. They said it wasn't just the volume of his voice. I thought this was interesting. One of the historians said it wasn't the volume of his voice. It was the authority of his voice. They said, as he began to call out to God, there was not one sense of doubt. And then they said, almost instantly, it happened. As his prayers ascended to heaven, raindrops began to descend to the earth. They said, literally, there was an audible gasp that swept across the thousands of people gathered to witness this. Every head, obviously, they're in the middle of a drought. They haven't seen rain in years. And every head turned heavenward. But they said Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop. Honey wasn't satisfied with just a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, they said for the second time, he lifted his voice, and these were the words that he uttered. He said, for not such a rain... Have I prayed? But I have prayed for a rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. They said, as soon as the words left his mouth, the sprinkling, the mist, turned into a torrential downpour. One of the historians said that no raindrop was smaller than the size of an egg. 
They said it began to rain so heavily and so steadily and so quickly that people began to have to fled or flee, excuse me, to the Temple Mount to avoid the flash floods that were starting from this much rain coming down. And yet they said, Honey stayed in the circle. He was sprinkling and he wasn't happy and now a violent rain had come upon the land and flooding in a place that had been drought and he wasn't happy. And they said he lifted up and he said these words, not for, this such, not for such rain have I prayed, but I have prayed for rain of thy favor, blessing and graciousness. And they said almost immediately, like on a hot August day when that perfect storm moves in, like today, it began to rain calmly. It began to rain peacefully. And each raindrop to the children there at Jerusalem, it was almost like a, a reminder of God's blessing. It didn't just soak their skin, it began to soak their faith. And it would always be remembered to those people as the day that the legend of the circle maker was born. It's funny, the day before it had been difficult to believe that that could happen, but after witnessing it was impossible to believe that it didn't happen. It is literally deemed the prayer that saved a generation. In the history of Israel, it is one of the most significant prayers ever prayed. It it is held up in lofty standards, the prayer of the circle maker. The circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol to the children of Israel. And a single prayer changed the course of history. One day they're about to die from a drought. The next day God's favor and blessing is upon them. All because one man believed enough in prayer to call out to God when everyone else had given up hope. It's funny, we're well over 2,000 years since that happened. And I believe God is still looking for circle makers. Listen to me today. I I believe God is looking for a generation that is willing to call out to him. I don't know that he's looking for multitudes to do it because I don't think he has very high expectations. And Ezekiel, he said, I saw for a man. He's looking for one person. He's looking for some people. He's looking for some people that in the midst of the craziness are willing to believe that they can call out to God and God will hear them and do great and mighty things. He's looking for some people who feel so strongly about what they're praying for that they're willing to continue to pray for him until God answers them. Let's stop for a minute. Are you awake today? Are you alive today? I get it. You're a little bit old. Some of you went to a concert last night and you're tired. Here's the deal. You got to leave at 10 o'clock. I got home about one. So I got you up by about three hours. I had an event Friday night and I'm still up here. So if I got enough energy to be up here, you got enough energy to stay awake out there and amen me. So let's count to three and give me an amen. One, two, three. 
I don't want to be up here preaching on an island by myself, but that's the case. I'll go to my podcast studio next time, turn on the camera, sit in my pajamas, and you can watch it online. I mean, geez, Louise, we're talking about prayer today and how it can change your life. But that's the problem right there with Christianity. We have begun to take for granted one of the most spectacular things that God has ever given us, the ability to communicate one-on-one with him. We take it for granted. We don't think about it. We, we, we now look at prayer as a last resort. Heard it last night. Somebody pulled me off the side, told me about someone who has cancer. They're not doing real well. And then, and then the words that I hate. All we can do now is pray. Like that's a last resort. How about we start with all we can do is pray. That we serve a God who wants to hear our prayers. One man was willing to draw a circle and say, I'm not leaving this circle until God answers some prayers. God is looking for a group of people who are willing to take prayer seriously. Listen, God is looking for a group of people who expect God to move on their behalf. God is looking for a group of people to draw circles in the sand and not leave the circle until they see God move. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, said every great movement of God began with a bended knee. You want to see God move? Start praying. You want to see God move in your church? Start praying. You want to see God move in your marriage? Start praying. You want to see God move with your children? Start praying. You want to see God move with your purpose? Start praying. You want to see God move in your finances? Start praying. You want to see God move in your relationships? Start praying. You want to see God move in your hurts? Start praying. You want to see God move in your habits? Stop praying. You want to see God move in your hangups? Start praying. Listen, the problem is, is we're so busy trying to do it ourselves instead of calling out to the only one who can do it. Where we throw up a haphazard prayer and then we get upset that we get haphazard results. How about we draw a circle, we stand in the circle and say, man, I'm not moving until God does. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, call unto me and I will answer you. I love that. He says, call to me and I will answer you. How many of you have ever called me on my phone? Call me and I will not answer you. Do not call me when you can text me. I don't want to hear your voice. And do not text me 572 times a day, Dad. My dad has discovered music on YouTube. He's about 20 years behind. He's old, it's cool. And I always know when he gets off work because I get about 15 texts a day. Have you heard this song? Yeah, like 10 years ago, man. Don't call me. Only text me, and only text me when it's important. But aren't you glad I'm not God? Because God says, <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Son. I mean, you've, I'm pretty cocky and egotistical, and even I know that is not good for me to be God. Call to me, and God says, I will answer you. He doesn't say, I'll think about answering you. 
He don't say, I'll consider answering you. He says, call to me and I will answer you. And here's the part I dig the most. He says, and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. He says, call to me and I will exceed your expectations. He said, I will show you things that you didn't even know you were praying about. I will show you how things can be in ways that you never knew they could be. He says, call to me and I will blow your mind in what I want to do. He said, but I want to know that you're calling out to me. See, I I believe we serve a God today who's looking for some people to stop praying cold prayers and start praying some bold prayers. I mean, we pray some of the lamest, coldest, haphazard prayers there are. I believe God's looking for some people to stop praying old prayers, just recycling the same old BS that you say every single day, and he's looking for some people to pray some bold prayers. I believe God's looking for some people to stop praying stole prayers just because you heard it and thought it sounded really good, and God's looking for some people to pray some bold prayers. Listen to me today. I believe sometimes sometimes we insult God with how small our prayers are. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. Let me tell you something today. God is not offended by your biggest dreams. God is not offended by your bold prayers. He is offended when we give him anything less. God demands perfection. He demands excellence. He wants us to come to him with everything. If your prayers are <laughs> If your prayers are not impossible to you, you're insulting God. If you can do it on your own, you don't got to go to God with it. Prayer is a secret weapon of the Christ follower. Think about it for a second. God gives us Sinful man, a direct line to him. We're going to date some of you. How many of you remember the old Batman, Adam West Batman? I'm talking, I ain't talking about Michael Keaton Batman. I'm talking about Adam West Batman. Remember he had the red phone? Commissioner Gordon did. But he picked up that phone, and it was funny because there were no cell phones there. And it didn't matter where Batman was, he answered that phone. He said, how did he do that? Because he's Batman. And God has given us a red phone access to him. We have direct access to the creator of the universe, yet the weakest thing in the Christian's life, the weakest thing in the Christ follower's life, the weakest thing in the spiritual person's life, and the weakest thing in the church today is prayer. Most people do not pray. And when they do pray, they pray these vague, weak go through the motion prayers and then wonder why God doesn't move on their half. Or they wait until they're at the end of their rope and they have nothing else to do but pray. God is looking for some people to draw a circle in the sand and call out to God until he answers. If we were to be honest today, and I know it's church and it's hard for you to be honest, probably the last time you sincerely prayed is when you drank too much and you're hugging that commode Oh, we've been there. I mean, how many of you just be honest today? Don't even raise your hand because I, I don't even want to see it. I'm going to be honest. 
I'm talking about them when you're so hungover and so puking from drinking, you don't care that the commode ain't been cleaned in a week. Like there ain't nothing that feels better than that cold porcelain against the side of your face. Tears are coming down your face as you, and you pray out to God, please, God, I will never drink again. Just get me through this. Ain't it sad that's our most sincere prayer? I ain't beating you up today. I've been there. I, I, I've been there to the point that the dog, the golden retriever, is licking my face while I'm doing that, don't even care. Please, God, just get me through today. I'm going to puke again. Yeah, we take prayer. Sandra knows. She can't even hide it. She out there laughing, and tried to hide it. 70 years old. She probably knew this week. 29 years old, I mean, excuse me. God's looking for some people to draw a circle in the sand and call out to God until he answers. You know, there's this awesome story in the Bible about the children of Israel. 400 years prior to where this story is, God had promised them they had been in slavery to the Egyptians, and he had promised them this land called the Promised Land. Due to their rebellion, due to their rebellion 40 years prior, they were enslaved, and God had promised them this Promised Land, and when he set them free from Egypt, it was 40 days' journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. 40 days. 40 years later, they're still in the wilderness because of their disobedience. But finally, the time has come for God to fulfill his promise to them. They're here and they're outside the land that God has promised them. And the only thing they have to do to get the land that God has promised them is they now have to go seize the land from Jericho. You think as they get ready to go to war, they'd be thinking about battle strategy. You think they would be getting their weapons ready, their formations ready. They'd be meeting with the leaders and the warriors and talking about how they were going to physically overthrow the city and take it. But God had a different idea. The Bible says in Joshua 6, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. So Jericho knows the Israelites are about to go to war with them, so they have secured the gates. Picture that with me. No one went in and no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, so Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. Joshua is the one who's about to take them to war with Jericho. God is now speaking to Joshua, and you think he is going to give him a war plan, but look at what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Do not miss that because we will come back to it. Along with the king and its fighting men. Now here's how we're going to do it. Are you ready? March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. God said, here's how we're going to do this. We're not going to attack the walls. We're not going to go at them with weapons. We're just going to march around the city once a day for six days. Okay. He says, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, we're going to march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. 
when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army attack. Nope. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Hmm. We're going to march around the city once for six days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. We're going to give a shout and the walls are going to fall down and the city's going to be ours. Seems pretty simple. Seems very unlikely to happen. I'm not a great war strategist, but it doesn't seem like the best plan to me. Other than it's what God told them to do. God said, we're going to draw a circle around that city. We're going to march around that city in a circle for six days. He said, on that seventh day, you're going to march around that city seven times, and we're going to draw seven circles around that city. And he said, everything inside that circle I'm going to give to you because of your obedience and believing that I will do it. God's looking for some circle makers. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, I like how Joshua doesn't even argue. We can take some lessons from that. It doesn't sound logical, but God told me to do it. It doesn't make sense, but God told me to do it. I don't really understand it, but God told me to do it. I pray more along the lines of this. God told me, but what, God? Mm, you sure? Listen, I know you're God, but how about this? I got this idea over here. And God, no offense, my idea seems logically to make more sense than your idea. At 47 years old, you would think that I have learned that God is right and I am not. That God doesn't care my opinion. That God doesn't need to hear my two cents worth. Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance! Not advance and fight. <laughs> advance! March around the city. Advance! Let's draw a circle around the city. An army guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets for the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched around ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. They think they're fixing to go to a physical war, and Joshua said, chill. We're going to draw a circle. This is the promised land that God has given us, and it's taken us 40 years to get it, and I don't know exactly when he's going to give it to us, but we're going to draw a circle around it until he does. So we had the ark of the Lord Carry around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests did the ark. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before, marching before the ark of the Lord. The army went ahead of them. They did it again. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Every day they get up ready to battle. They get ready for war. And Joshua says, "Now nah, we're just going to draw a circle around the city. But Joshua, how are we going to take over? We're just going to draw a circle around the city. But Joshua, what about, we're just going to draw a circle around the city. 
And God's going to give us what is in that circle in God's timing because we're not going to leave that circle until he does. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I think that's powerful. You're missing some things there. Shout in the present tense, for the Lord has given you the city. They have not went to war, and God has given them the city. Why? Because they did what God told them to do, and they drew a circle around the city. And they got up the second day, and they drew a circle around the city. And they got up the third day, and they drew a circle around the city. And they got up the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth day, and they drew a circle around the city. And on the seventh day, they got up, and they drew seven circles around the city. And God gave them what was inside that circle, because they were faithful in going after what God told them to go after. What do you need to draw a circle around today? What in your life do you need to call out to God today? What is the thing in your life that you know you need a move of God or it's going to destroy you and you're going to draw a circle and not come out of that circle until God answers your prayer? God's looking for some circle makers today. He's not looking for someone to throw a prayer up and move on. He's not looking for someone to throw up some recited words. He's looking for someone to draw a circle and say, this is my calling in life. This is my dream in life. This is my vision in life. This is my purpose in life. And I will not get out of this circle. I don't care how many times I've messed up. I don't care how many times I've screwed up. I don't care how many times I've effed up. I will not leave this circle until God answers my prayer because I want to see a move of God so bad that I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Now, there's some huge principles you got to do in drawing a circle. And I'm going to give them to you, and we're going to get out of here early, I promise you. I'm going to draw a circle around that promise today. And one day, God's going to answer it. first thing you got to do if you're going to draw a circle around something is you got to define your dream. You got to define your dream. You know why so many of you can't draw your circle around something? Because you don't know what the dream for your life is. You don't know what the vision for your life is. The Bible says where there is no vision, it's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, Proverbs 29, 18, the Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. You want to know why you're dying spiritually? Because you have no spiritual vision for your life. You want to know why you're dying emotionally? Because you have no vision for your emotional well-being. You don't want to know why you're dying physically? Because you have no vision for your health. You have no relational vision. You have no vision for your purpose. Where there is no vision, the people perish. How can you draw a circle around something and pray for something when you don't even know what it is you're praying for? I love the old Charlie Brown. Um, anybody remember Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown, there's a little uh, comic strip that always stuck out to me. I remember seeing it right out of high school. And Charlie Brown is pulled back a bow and arrow and he's shooting at a fence. And it says, hit it. And what's the little crabby girl? Lucy. Lucy's like, you hit what? There's no target. And he said, yep, and I hit it every time. That's how some of you are with your prayer lives. You hit it every time you think because you don't know what it is you're praying for. You haven't defined your dream. The children of Israel knew what the dream was. It was the promised land. God had promised them Jericho. They had a dream that was given them by God, and they decided they were going to circle Jericho until God gave them that dream. 
They had been in captivity to Egypt. They had wandered in the wilderness now for 40 years, and God comes along and says, I've got this land, and it's flowing with milk and honey, and it is yours. And they had to find their dream. You know why they were willing to circle the city? Because the dream was a city. It was the fulfillment of a dream that God had given them over 400 years ago. It was, a, it was a miracle they had been waiting generations for. For them, it was Jericho. But here's my question, what is yours? What is your Jericho? What is the promise in your life you're praying around? What is the miracle that you're marching around? What dream are you willing to draw a circle in and not leave that circle until God answers it? You want to know why most of our prayers are never answered? Because we don't really know what to pray for. If you really go back and examine your prayer life, you pray for nothing. And then you get upset when you get nothing. Or you hear nothing. We throw up generic, lifeless prayers while God is saying, I want to answer your prayers, but you aren't asking me anything. My son Luke is horrible about this. He's got better over the years. But Luke is the king of dropping hints. He won't say, can I go to my friend's house? It'd be nice if I could go to so-and-so's house. Yeah, it probably would be, won't you ask? I, I wish, man, I wish I could watch blah, blah, blah. Or, or you could just ask if you could watch blah, 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 and we'd turn the TV on. That's what we do with God. We're passive-aggressive in our prayers. We drop hints in our prayers instead of being direct to God and asking God, we won't because we think God doesn't care about little old us. The Bible says he has the hairs on your head numbered. You don't think he cares about you? Now, if you're Ron, that's not hard to have the hairs numbered, but some of us, it's hard. God loves us so much. He said, I want you to define what your dream is. So many times, it is our Jericho, and Jericho can be spelled many different ways. Listen to me, listen to me. You might have cancer today, and it's spelled Healing. I don't know what your Jericho is. Your child is far from God, and the Jericho is the salvation of your children. Your marriage may be falling apart, and the Jericho in your life is reconciliation. You may have a vision beyond your resources, and the Jericho is called provision. Whatever it is, you've got to spell it out to God. Here's the dream that I have. Here's what I need, God, and I'm not leaving my circle until you answer it. And the problem with so many of us, now I, I do a real good job as the pastor in saying us. That way it makes it feel like I'm preaching with you and I struggle with the same things you struggle and I struggle a lot. Gary Lamb, the king, is struggling. But I ain't doing that today. The problem with so many of you is you don't know how to define your dream. I can tell you the dream for my life I can tell you the dream for my relationships. I can tell you the dream for my career. I can tell you the dreams for my family. I can tell you the dreams for my wife. I can tell you the dreams for my children. I can tell you the dreams for what I want to do and my purpose and what I want to do as I move forward in life. I'm not good at much, but I have clearly defined my purpose and my calling in life. And when I go to God in prayer, I go very specifically to God because I know exactly what it is that I'm praying about. There's times, listen to me, there's times Jericho isn't a word, it might be a zip code. 
God has placed on your heart a certain geographical region and you're drawing a circle around it because you want to see a move of God in that area. God has called you to reach it. Hey, sometimes your Jericho might be a dollar amount. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a dollar amount that's going to get you out of debt. I don't know what it is. It may be your wife. It may be your children. It, it may be Action Church. I, I don't know what your dream is, but listen to me today. You do. You do. And if you don't know what your dream is, the number one priority in your life is to get alone with God and start clarifying that. You'll never reach your destination if you don't know what the destination is. They knew for them it was Jericho. So not only are we going to define our dream, after we define our dream, we are going to claim our promise in that circle. Standing outside of the walls of Jericho had to be insane. It had to be crazy. As they approached, after 40 years, there's the land. Here's what they were greeted with. First of all, they were greeted with a six-foot wall. Once you got in the six-foot wall, there was a 50-foot wall. There was a gap in between the six-foot wall and the 50-foot wall because the six-foot wall kept the people out that they were 100% sure they didn't want in. The six-foot wall, they allowed people to come in that they didn't know, but that's where they checked them out. They imagined, they uh, did their background checks, and they made everything was good before they got to go in the 50-foot wall, which got them inside the city. So you could picture them walking up to many people, it would have seemed like a huge problem. God has told us to claim this land. We got to get not only through a six-foot wall, we got to get through a 50-foot wall. Hey, sometimes in your vision, you're going to have to get through some walls. Hey, by the way, if it was easy, everybody would do it. It ain't freaking easy. You bunch of damn whiny, crying, excuse-making people who want everything handed to you on a silver platter. That's not how life happens, and that's why you won't accomplish anything in life. There's going to be roadblocks along the way. There's going to be walls along the way. But here's the deal. You're going to draw a circle and not leave your circle until God answers your prayer. They they didn't see the wall and get discouraged. What others saw as a problem, oh my goodness, what others saw as a problem, they saw as a promise. God had promised them that land. You know what I dig about this? Check it out. Don't put the verse up yet, Xander. God hasn't even told them to march around the wall yet. Because that plan seems crazy. Before he ever does that, look what the first thing we read was. Verse 2, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered. Present tense. They ain't even done anything yet. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. God has not even told them the crazy plan that they're going to march around the city instead of going to battle, but he said, I've already given them to you. Circle maker. Even God said amen. It's good preaching today if a white boy is doing it. If you ain't going to amen me, the heavens will amen me today. He said, hey, I've already given them to you. The problem of most of you is you'd have walked up, saw the wall, and you'd have saw problems. 
you would have begun to make excuses. You would have begun to say why it couldn't have been done. Joshua walked up and said, I got a promise. He already said they delivered them to me. I don't know how we're going to go about getting through this six-foot wall. I don't know how we're going to go about going through this 50-foot wall. I don't know if God wants us to physically go fight these people or what God wants to do, but here's what I know. He's done gave me a promise. He's already said they're delivered to me, and I'm here to tell you that God's already given you a promise that he will give you a life that is exceedingly more than you ever expected it to be. You just got to claim it. You just got to claim it. Now, 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 listen, I'm not talking about some wealth and health thing. The guy wants you to be a millionaire if you sow a seed with your crown. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose, a life of vision, a life of, of just knowing you were part of something bigger than you and you were making an impact in the world. Joshua had a promise. God had promised him this land. You need to stop looking at your problems as problems. You don't have problems. You've got promises. And the quicker you accept that they're promises, the quicker you'll jump in that prayer circle and call out to God. God gave you an audible promise. You know what God's given us? God's given us a written promise. It's called the Word of God. This book is full of promises. A promise that is an answer to your problems. Let me go ahead and educate you real quick. It doesn't matter what your problem is, the answer is in this book. You just got to be willing to claim it. When you are praying, you don't circle your problems You circle your promises. God, you promised me this. This is a horrible illustration, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, and it's it's a stretch. But I promised Emily when she turned 16, I'd take her and get her first tattoo. Tattoos are illegal in Georgia if you're under 18 years old. So I'm going to take her to Alabama to get her first tattoo. I don't really care if you agree with that or don't agree with that. I wasn't asking for your parenting advice. My point is this. I promised her for her birthday I would do it. She turned 16 in January. It's now June. She has driven me crazy. At least once a week when they're going to get my tattoo. Have you called about my tattoo? Have you found anybody to do my tattoo? Have you talked to the person about my tattoo? Have you done this? Have you done that? And she's claiming her promise that I promised to her. I promised it to her. I'm the one who told her I was going to take it to her. She's not asking me for something that I didn't promise. She's just saying, hey, be a man of your word. When we call out to God, we're not asking him to do something he didn't already promise us. He already promised it to us. When your marriage is on the rocks, God has a promise that what God has joined together that no man can separate He says, when your children are far from God, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a promise from God. God says, when you are lacking in your finances, the Bible says, my God shall supply all your needs. We have a promise. When you don't know what's next, God says, I will go before you and I will make the crooked places straight. We have a promise. When you feel alone, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I feel so alone in life, I'm just depressed. Shut up. Someone asked me, I'm, I'm going to offend some of y'all right now. Someone asked me, what do you think about depression? I don't have time to be depressed. 
Do I think it probably exists? Yeah, it probably does, but I don't have time to be depressed. I got a purpose to live. Problem with so many of you is you want to, you want to wallow, oh my gosh. We're going to make everybody mad today. You want to wallow in your mental health. Instead of claiming the promise of God, you feel so alone. God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Maybe the answer to your mental health is the promises of God. Quit feeding negativity into your life and start feeding the promises of God into your life. I don't think I'll be back. Well, I don't really give a rip. You just heard the truth, so leave knowing the truth. You've messed up. Carrie, I've messed up. You know, we got a promise that God says, I'll forgive your sins and remember them no more. You feel like you've sunken so deep in life. God says, I will pick you up by the miry clay and put your feet on a solid rock. See, whatever problem you have, there's a promise of God to get you out of it. The problem is you're focusing on your problems instead of focusing on the promises of God. You've got to claim the promise that God has given you. Emily was just claiming her promise from me. She wasn't annoying me. She wasn't irritating me. She was claiming what I promised her. God says, I want you to claim what I promised to you. But here's the thing about a promise. It does you no good until you claim it. I've shared this story before. I had a house one time on Fake Con Road, and when I moved into the house, the house was totally empty, and everything, and we were moving in, I opened this little bitty um, um, closet, and in this closet was a present. It was still wrapped. And the people who had lived there before had forgot it. So I contacted them and said, hey, there's a thing here I think you forgot. And they're like, oh, man, that got delivered the day we were moving out. We set it off the side and we forgot about it. I said, well, it's here. I moved out of that house almost three and a half years later, and guess what was still in that closet? That gift. They never came and claimed their gift. Now, here was the deal. It was their gift. The benefits of that gift was there. The enjoyment of that gift was there. But they couldn't enjoy the benefits of it until they came and got it. So when we moved, after three and a half years, I claimed that promise and unwrapped that gift and had a nice ninja blender that they didn't go three and a half years of being able to enjoy. The ninja blender was there for them, but they couldn't enjoy it until they claimed it. You can't enjoy the promises of God until you claim. So you've got to define your vision and you've got to claim your promise. God is a God of promises. And when God promises you something, you can take it to the bank. We have become a weak, excuse-making generation that actually glorifies being weak. It, it glorifies feeling sorry for yourself. And as such, nobody wants to claim the promises of God anymore. God does not create weakness. God made you bold. He made you in his image. You are not a mistake. You are not a oops. He told Jeremiah, he said, in your mother's womb, I knew you and set you apart. I've told you this before. You might have been a surprise in the backseat of mommy and daddy's car, but you did not surprise God. God formed you, and he shaped you, and he planned you, and he put promises inside of you, and he's got a dream inside of you, but you've got to define that dream, and then you've got to claim those promises. We need to learn the power of prayer. <clears throat> listen, 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 listen. We need to learn to pray through. 
We need to learn to, that there's a difference between praying for something and praying through something. Praying for something is a one-time thing, and that's what we do. I prayed for this. No, 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 no. Praying through is claiming your promise and not stopping till God gives you the answer. God, I'm going to drive you crazy. God, I'm going to keep calling out to you until you give me an answer. Now, God, the answer might be no, but until you tell me no, I'm going to keep praying to you because I want to see a move of God. I had someone come to me recently, and their teenager was in rebellion, and they were worried about that, and they said, man, I, I just feel led to pray for them. And they said, how long should I pray? And I said, as long as it takes. If I got to pray 20 years for my child, I'm going to pray 20 years for my child. I'm going to pray through until God moves. Circle makers pray through because they know that any moment God can break through. They refuse to leave the circle because they don't want to miss the movement of God. Praying through is about intensity. At times it can be so intense, I don't, oh my goodness, I don't know if if you've never experienced this, I don't know what to tell you. Man, your life is so intense and there's so much going on, there's so much chaos and and it could even be all falling apart and you're praying through to God sometimes and you're begging to God and you're calling out to God. There's times that it's so intense you can't even utter words. And the Bible says he hears us through our sobs. I don't want to get into some discourse on what speaking in tongues is, but here's what it means. And to me, it's when you're praying so intensely that you can't even make out the words in those heavenly tongues. God hears them and knows your heart and knows what you're praying for. We're praying through something. When you're just calling out to God and just brokenness and begging him to move and you're not going to leave the circle till he answers. When was the last time you found yourself there? I refuse to live my life less than what God called me to live it. I know the dream in my life. I have defined it. And I will do nothing short of achieving that. I will continue to claim the promises of God in my life. I know the calling in my life. It doesn't matter how many times I mess up, how many times I screw up, how many times I botch it, how many times I get it wrong. It doesn't change that I know the calling in my life and I am going to claim that promise every time I fall. I'm gonna get up and knock the dust off and get back on my horse. We're the only ones that love people to fail and stay down. You're gonna fail in life. Get back up and claim your promise. God's not done with you. We're going to define the dream in that circle. We're going to claim our promise in that circle. And don't miss this. This is so good. We're going to start praising God in the circle. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. If we're still in the circle, that means we ain't got our answer yet. It's huge. This is huge. The minute you start praying for something, you ought to start praising God that he's already answered it. He's already given you a promise. So here's the deal. You know what's going to happen. You just don't know when. You think I'm going to break a promise to my daughter over a tattoo? No. It's going to happen. She just don't know when. She does now because there's a date. We're driving to Alabama. Roll tide, son. We're getting a tattoo over there. Listen, 
The promise was made. She has the promise of that. God's already given you the promise. You've already won. So go ahead and start praising him. Then the Lord said to Joshua, I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. They ain't even started circling the city yet. They ain't even started drawing their circles yet. I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. Do you see this? I have already given you its king. I've already given you its fighting men. You're still going to draw some circles, but you've already won, so you might as well start going ahead and praising me. The battle, the battle was won before the battle even began. God had already given them the city. All they had to do was circle it. Do you not see that? It's amazing to me. When we get in the circle, you need to spend as much time praising as you do praying. Faith doesn't celebrate once. I forgot how good this sermon was. Listen, I must have been in tune with God when I put this one a few years ago. Faith doesn't celebrate once the miracle happens. It celebrates before it happens. It's not faith if you celebrate once you've seen the results. That's called logic. Faith says I'm celebrating before it happens when I ain't even seen the outcome of it. Man. Instead of praying for your husband to turn to God, how about you start praising God that your husband's going to turn to God? Instead of praying for a promotion, start thanking God for the promotion years in advance of it ever happening. Instead of praying to get out of debt, why, why don't you go ahead and start praising that God's given you a plan, and the plan will work if you work the plan and you're going to get out of debt. Hey, instead of praying for your wife to respect you, how about you start, you start doing the things she can respect and praising God she's going to turn her heart towards back to you. We're going to draw some circles. My life is a series of circles. This building is a circle. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've walked around this building. This city for me is a circle. I feel called to this city. It drives me nuts. I fight with them. I raise hell with them. God will not, at this time, will not let me leave it. I've tried. My family... There's a circle around it. Hear me out. My family. That means my wife, two daughters, two sons. I got a daughter who ain't talked to me in two and a half years. Guess what? I still draw a circle around my family. Christine will come to me sometimes. She's like, does it bother you? Why? Hell yeah, it bothers me. I'm, I'm human. But I don't dwell on that. What do I always say? It'll happen one day. One day it'll happen. One day she'll realize she has her head up her ass. Excuse my language, because that's exactly what the situation is. And if her mom's listening, you can repeat that message to her. Oh, I know you don't listen, but someone probably else doesn't tell you about it. I don't care. I draw a circle around my family. 
I'm already praising God for what's going to happen in that situation. I've got some career goals in my life. One of those career goals is this. I don't want to work the rest of my life. So I'm making moves now where I don't have to do that. I'm already praising God for when I ain't got to work no more. You say, I don't want to work. I don't want to work anymore. I want to work when I want to work. Well, don't you do that now? Yeah, a little bit, but I want to do it all the time. Man, if God has put a promise in your heart, start praising him for it. What about a sickness, Gary? We don't have any control. Start praising him for it. I want to say something. I want to be really careful here, and I do not want to be insensitive. And I legitimately, with everything in me, mean that. Sometimes when it comes to sickness, we begin to pray for God's healing. Start praising him for the healing. And then something happens, and on our terms, God doesn't heal them, and maybe they pass away. I thought God was going to heal them. Do you understand we believe in a place called heaven? God did heal them. God doesn't always answer in the way we want him to answer. The Bible says there'll be no sickness there. There'll be no sorrow there. It hurts us on this side, but they wouldn't come back here if they could. God answers our prayers. We just might not realize he answers them the way we want them to. So you start praising him in the circle. Here's the deal, and I'm done. And I am done early. God's looking for some circle makers. He's looking for some people to draw a circle around a dream and fulfill that dream. I had lunch with someone recently. They wanted to hear about the church. What do you guys do? I said, we do Sunday morning. What else? I said, we serve our community. Man, have you thought about a youth group? No. Uh-uh. What if I did it? Nope. Uh-uh. What about small groups? Mm-mm. What about this out ministry and this? Nah. We ain't doing it. Because here's why. I'm the church. You're the church. Each and every one of us are the church. And this church does all kinds of ministry in this community and all kinds of ministries in this community as you do ministry and ministries in this community. All the time. So my goal as the pastor has always been in my mind to facilitate your dream chasing. But your dream chasing needs to have some circles around it. I want us to be a church full of people who are living their calling in life. And that happens when we become circle makers. Some of you are more worried about an action plan than you are calling out to God. You start with prayer. So draw a circle around it. Draw a circle around the relationship, the emotional issue, the financial issue, whatever it is. And don't leave the circle until God answers it. You're not going to offend God with your bold prayers. It would blow your mind if you heard how big some of my dreams are. I'm not wasting my time on small prayers. I got one shot at this thing called life. I am not wasting it living a normal life. Normal sucks. And the problem with so many of you is you don't think normal sucks because you've been institutionalized to think 
what we have nowadays is normal. Get up, go work for somebody else, make them lots of money, come home, barely pay the bills, get up and do it again, and live for the weekend. Someone asked me, I said, how do you work every weekend? I don't, I don't differentiate between the weekend and the weekdays. There's days to me. So normally I get about five days off and work too. I don't live for the weekend. I get to live my life passion every freaking day. Screw normal. I refuse that. I draw circles around big things. And some of you need to start drawing some circles around huge things. Because God wants to do huge things in your life. Define it, claim it, and start praising him in it. 